Welcome to the Greenbelt Project, where we bring the Iowa Greenbelt to life. The Greenbelt Project is brought to you by the Ellsworth College Foundation and Time Citizen Communications. This show is sponsored by Iowa Falls State Bank, member FDIC, and Hanson Family Hospital. Your host for today's show is Gwen Groen. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Gwen Groen with the Ellsworth College Foundation. And we are here with Darwin Meller. We're on our third session with Darwin. And when we left off at our last one, he had been working at the Applington School. Was it Applington Parkersburg then or just Applington? No, still, still just Applington. Still just Applington. And then um, had another opportunity to come back to Ellsworth, not as a student this time, but as a faculty member. So Darwin, thanks again for being sure. here. I'm just going to let you take it. Well, I had been at Appleton uh, for six years as a high school ag instructor, NFFA advisor, and then the opportunity at Ellsworth came about. They were advertising for a person to start a new program at Ellsworth College called Swine Confinement Management. And of course, in, in 1978, that was uh, somewhat of a revolutionary <laughs> concept to start a program like that. However, the swine industry was moving their production facilities inside. Sure. And of course, anytime you have livestock in a climate controlled facility, it creates a, a whole new management scheme and requirements. Because you're, you're moving an animal inside that had been used to being outside. Right. And so it poses a lot of, a lot of different challenges. But they were starting that program because uh, looking to the future, they could see where that, that's the way the industry was moving. We saw it move that way in the southeastern part of the United States. North Carolina had really grown uh, as a state in swine production. And the reason why is because they were had moved to inside facilities. Okay. And so it was a matter of time before that was going to move to the Midwest. And so, being as my wife and I were both from Iowa Falls, this was an attractive thing, even though we were happily at Applington, to be able to move back to Iowa Falls, our families were here, so there were a lot of reasons sure. for that. Uh, we wanted our grandchildren to be able to know their grandparents more. Yep, uh, I get that. And, and so that, that, that was all a factor. And so I was actually hired in April of 78 okay. to start the fall semester Okay. with that program. And so then, uh, of course, I was offered the position, accepted it, resigned at Applington. And my contract at Applington went through June 30th because it was a year contract. And so then uh, I finished my obligation there. And then the position at Ellsworth did not start until August 15th. About the time of uh, student orientation and registration. <laughs> and, but I did have six weeks in between there, obviously, to get moved back to Iowa Falls, get, for us to get situated here. Our daughter had been born Just gonna late ask you that if you spring. Had kids. And so we had a three and a half year old, and of course our daughter, had been born premature because my wife had preeclampsia and so they had to induce my wife so my daughter only weighed about four and a half pounds when oh my she was goodness. born and obviously took a lot of 
extra care and my wife had had preeclampsia and she was recovering from that. So it was probably good to have that six weeks time uh, to get stabilized uh, on the home front. Right. And so then I started at Ellsworth uh, August 15th of 78 and we only had nine students that that were there enrolled in the swine program. And most of them had simply heard about it word of mouth because there really hadn't been any recruiting. I wasn't here yet, so right. uh, we didn't really have any marketing efforts that could be done in time Sure. for fall semester. So I started with those nine students and, and they were good students. And then also that fall, I started going out uh, on my time that I would have to get away and visited high schools and promoted and marketed our program. And we also uh, did some marketing through uh, swine producer publications. Okay. Started building a network with the veterinarians and the feed dealers and that type of thing. And so then in the fall of 79, we had 35 students. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And so we, we grew quite rapidly. In fact, if I recall, the next fall we had 41. So it became a very large program to the point where we hired Dwayne Kirkenberg to help teach oh, some classes okay. because we did not want to have class sizes of 40 kids. Right. Uh, it's a vocational technical program, so we wanted to have our class sizes down to around 20. And really at the time when I was hired, I was told, well, we'd like to see at least 12 students in a vocational technical program because there is a lot of one-on-one work with those students in training. And so we um, grew very rapidly and there was, the industry was also changing at that time to where there become a greater demand for students graduating with that type of skills and training. Sure. And we also built a network of excellent on-the-job training sites because the way the program was designed the first semester and then the first half of the second semester was classroom instruction and training. Okay. And I would actually, during that time, one of our classes was a a class in developing swine management skills. And so I would take the students out to a farm and show them how to uh, clip needle teeth and and give iron injections, uh, how to ear tag, how to vaccinate, various skills that are necessary in that trade. Sure. And so then the last half of the spring semester, the students would go out for on-the-job training. They would be out for eight weeks. And so I tried to find some of the the most progressive swine operations as I could uh, out in that area. And, And obviously we didn't have enough local. So I would have students training all over Iowa, even into neighboring states. And so uh, while they were out on the job, of course, I would be lining up this, these training stations for the students yeah. and uh, helping them get lodging at these various sites because they would be living in that community. And then also while they were out training, I would go out and visit them at least once, I'd sit down with them and their supervising manager and go over uh, their progress on, on their training. Sure. And so it was, uh, those were busy times because I would be out on the road a lot. Yeah, if you had 40 students, wow. as time went on, we had students coming from further away. 
to the point where about a third of the students in the program were from out of state, out of Iowa. Oh my gosh. And I was, in fact, during the 16 years that I taught here, I had students from 42 states and seven foreign countries. Oh my goodness. Which was, uh, you know, very interesting and, and posed different challenges, obviously, yeah. but it was all good. I, I was blessed in the fact that the students that came here were, were here for a purpose. And uh, we, were, we apparently had built a reputation to where we were a destination a college for students that were interested in that field. Yeah. And I also learned a lot from these students in the various parts of the country they came from. Some wanted to take their on-the-job training closer to home that spring. And so I was able to build a network of training units. And, and I had students training in, on farms in Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, uh, even Pennsylvania. Some of our students wanted to get the experience of working in very large units. Well, at that time, the largest swine operations were in North Carolina. And so they actually came to us because they were interested in hiring students from here to work in their large operations in the Carolinas. And so through that, we were able to develop some training centers yeah. uh, in North Carolina. And so yeah. our kids had the experience not only of working in these super large operations, right. but, but also the experience spending time in a different part of the country sure. that they had never seen. Yeah. And so as I look back on it, I mean, it, had a, it was a tremendous learning opportunity for these students in many ways. And so uh, it, was, it was an exciting time. And I would go to North, North Carolina and visit these students. And along with that, I learned also as a teacher yeah. And, and so I learned from those visits and talking to these managers and seeing their operations and their various management techniques, it helped enhance the quality of my teaching right. for these students. Right. There's still controversy today regarding large operations, uh, large confinement operations. Yep. And it was even more so back then, it was quite controversial. And I would sometimes get some unkind letters from people on that. Fan, fan uh, mail. <laughs> that fan mail, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and so that was part of the thing. You try to explain to people that you know, the industry is changing and it's going to change whether we're here or not. Right. What we were able to do was to help some young people that wanted to be in agriculture, give them an opportunity to do so. Sure. And we all couldn't be farmers. Right. I mean, that's kind of the... The heart of the matter we all couldn't be farmers and so this was an opportunity for young people and i had of course men and women students yeah and so it was an opportunity for them to stay in agriculture sure and do something they enjoyed and also the uh pay for those positions was very competitive mm -hmm. and obviously that was an attraction too but my job as a teacher was to work with those kids and and we had some kids get homesick and so you spend some time yeah. you know, with those kids to get over that and for many of them it was the first time they were away from home sure and i had a few occasions where i actually sent a student back home for a few days and once they get back home they realize that mom and dad are fine brothers and sisters are fine all their friends have scattered to other right. colleges and I would always tell them, you know, I want you to go home, 
but in five days I expect you to be back here, otherwise I'm coming to get you. Right. But they would always they would always come back. Yeah. And, and so that's part of things you do as a teacher and, and a mentor of these kids. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as I look at my career, my 16 years at Ellsworth were probably some of the happiest times that, that I had sure. in my work because yeah. it, was so, it was very rewarding. And we had a 96% completion rate of our students wow. who enrolled in the program, and we had a 92% graduation rate. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, which was, I think for college programs, was probably unheard of at the time. Right. And what was kind of exciting about this was in 1984, the U.S. Secretary of Education put out a call to the states that he wanted the states to nominate their best vocational technical program in high school, adult education, and college, those three divisions. Okay. And so, theoretically, you would have three chosen in each state. Right. 50 states, that's 150. And we were contacted by the Iowa Department of Education because they had heard about this program, and we were in our sixth year. And so, they asked if we would be willing to submit our program for consideration. And um, we ended up being the, the program that was chosen for the collegiate level. And the U.S. Office of Education decided to select out of those 150, the top 10 in the country. Yeah. And we were chosen as one of the top 10. Nice. So that was a big deal. Yeah. And um, it was a lot of fun because they came out. In fact, even before we were chosen, they came out to investigate us. And not only on the college, but in talking to people in the industry, they used all of those criterion to evaluate. And so that, that was a very exciting time. In fact, they came and we had a banquet here and the feds were here along with a U.S. Senator sure. and our Congressman, Berkeley Bedell was our Congressman okay. at that time. Roger Jepson was our state Senator. Oh, sure. And so we had them at this banquet along with Iowa Department of Education officials, the regional Department of Education, and also the National Department of Education. Wow. So quite exciting. In fact, we made the front page of the Des Moines Register yeah. uh, winning that award. It was fun, obviously, yeah. And, yeah. and exciting and very humbling, too, yeah, right. to be in that kind of company. And so obviously that even enhanced our reputation more. Mm -hmm. And so we had a very successful program and enrollment. And the, along with that, the following year, the National Association of Secretaries of Agriculture, they decided they wanted to recognize the top four programs in ag technology instruction. We were encouraged to apply for that again. <laughs> and uh, we were one of the four chosen in the United States. And we were the only two-year college. Yeah. Louisiana Tech was one of the winners. Uh, Virginia Tech was another one. Okay. Recognized for their program, and I don't remember the the, the third one, but then we were the fourth, and sure. like I said, the only two-year college uh, to receive that recognition. And so we went to Kansas State University. That's where they had their annual meeting that year, 
and we were presented that award at their annual conference. Yeah. So, so that was exciting yeah. too. Yeah. So uh, when you started, did you have any input in the, you know, kind of the program itself when it first started or, uh, you know, they developed it, then they hired you. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming they developed, but I would also assume that as the years went on that you were there, you were able to add mm -hmm. different aspects or enhancements maybe is a right. better word. When I was hired, Dwayne Lloyd was interim dean at that time. Glenn Warford, who had been Ellsworth's dean, had just retired in January. Dwayne was interim during that spring and then was named uh, full dean, or regular dean, I guess you'd call it, uh, that summer. And so when he hired me in April, he was still in that interim dean role. And what I remember about that, was, it was fun because Dwayne said to me, he said, I don't know how to start a program like this or how to run a swine program. That's why we're hiring you. Oh, okay. Yeah, if there's anything I can do to support you, please come and see me. If I think there's a concern, I will be coming to see you. <laughs> and so that's kind of the relationship Dwayne Lloyd and I had. Sure. And so I really appreciated the latitude there. They did not have, as far as the curriculum is concerned, did not have syllabi for their courses. And so I had to write those. Sure. And I, that's where my previous experience in teaching and building a high school program yeah. came in handy. Yeah. And we also added a couple of new courses. Uh, you know, one that I added was this swine skills class where we actually took these kids out and I would teach them how to, to do things. Right. And these various necessary skills. And I even, uh, we went to something that was quite revolutionary at that time. It was called Outlook-Based Learning. And I wrote a curriculum for that. And in fact, I was asked to publish it, which I did in the Ag Education Magazine, which is a national publication. Sure. I published that. Uh, that was published in their magazine. And then I was also asked to present that at a national conference, for a national agriculture conference. Sure. In fact, I think that I flew down to St. Louis to do that. And so I, I always was very appreciative of the fact that uh, Ellsworth let me do those things. Sure. Let me get out and, and present some of the successes yep. that we had had at Ellsworth. And it was interesting also because we had other colleges that would send visitors here to look at our program. I had uh, people from colleges in Texas, North Carolina, even in the Midwest, come and, and visit us and, and want to know about our program. And I was always very open and willing to share that. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or whatever, but to have a successful program, whether it was this one or anyone else, I mean, you have to live that program. Right. And so I put a lot of time in on it. When a parent of a prospective student wanted to visit campus and meet me, Many times that was on a Saturday or Sunday because they're working people. Right. And so I would, whether it was a Saturday or Sunday, I would come in and meet with those parents and give them a tour of campus. And, and they wanted to see who the person was I was going to be looking after their son or daughter. Right. Especially when they're coming from a long ways away. Yeah. You really have to live the job. And, and I wasn't too worried about others because most people aren't going to do that. Right. I would basically tell them everything that we did. Yeah. 
and was willing to share that knowledge. Yeah. I thought it was, first of all, professional. Right. <laughs> and, and secondly, I wasn't worried about the competition. Right. Because there aren't many people that will want to, I guess, dedicate their time, that, right. that much time to right. doing this. And I always had a very supportive family. My children were growing up, but I would always break away to go to their games and so forth. And sure. Could always go back to the office later. Right, right. And I had a very supportive wife, and there was about a 10-year stretch there where my wife was a stay-at-home mom. And she'll tell you today that those were some of the happiest years of her life. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of how, uh, how, how the program went here. And it was, like I said, was a fun and exciting time. Sure. And I also enjoyed teaching with Joe White and Dan Brown and Dwayne Brewer. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very strong teachers and probably person for person, our, our staff was considered one of the strongest in the community colleges in Iowa yeah. that had agricultural programs. Yeah. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And it's, it was re another rewarding part of education is when your graduates will contact you or call you or stop by and visit yeah. um, or you run into them at a conference or in this industry as an example the Iowa Pork Congress yep. or the International Trade Show and so you run into these graduates and it's always rewarding to see them how they've gone on and become successful sure. people sure. and good people too right. you know so the education is part of it but you know you hope that all of them become good husbands and wives and good parents along with success in their careers. Career, yeah, yeah. So you talked that it was, you know, the indoor hog swine confinement was out in the East Coast. So when it came here, we probably didn't have Iowa Select or... No. Is Seaboard Foods, is that another... Seaboard Foods is based out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Guyman, Oklahoma. And they were not a player in Iowa yet. Sure. We really did not have any of the large companies at that point in time. And so, of course, they developed as, as time came on. We started this program in 1978, and so you know, Iowa Select didn't get started till the early 90s. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure when yeah. they got started, so. 1992. Okay. And so, um, there was uh, Premium Standard Farms that started in, in uh, Northern Missouri before that time. Okay and kind of became a model for some of the other companies in the Midwest. Okay. Since that time, you know, you look over the last um, 40 years, the industry has completely changed. And it's what's called a maturing industry. When you have, when you go from a situation of having a lot of small businesses yeah. and they consolidate into a large one. And I'm not gonna be, you know, a person to say that all that's good or what you would like to see, what I would say is that's the way it is. And then right. I don't think trying to stop that would be like trying to hold back the tide. Right. The whole economic system in this country and the world is based on squeezing out costs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Who can produce the lowest cost product. Mm -hmm. And that's just an economic law that's going to be followed as long as you have a free enterprise system. We were not an instigator of that. We were a reactor to it. Right. And providing a service to that transition. Right. Yeah, I mean, because 
people were going to jump on board. You know, they they saw an opportunity. Right. Quite frankly, if some of our local companies hadn't started here, then companies from out of state would have. Right. Absolutely. And it's even interesting, you know, the Carolina operations. When I started training students down there, you had several. You had Murphy Farms. You had Carroll Foods. You had a couple others that weren't quite as large as those two entities. Today, they've all consolidated in Smithfield Foods. I was just going to say, is the Smithfield, yeah. yeah the, the Smithfield Foods is the is the monster on the block. I mean, it's just, they're huge. Right. And uh, quite frankly, back then, I could have never foreseen that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people realized that that would happen eventually, but it happened faster than most people expected. Sure, sure. And so uh, my job was to react to changes in the industry and help prepare people to be successful sure. in that environment. Yeah. How long, because we, we no longer have sure. the swine confinement program here, how long did that last? I was here 16 years and then it lasted for about five years after I left. Sadly to say, the enrollment progressively went down. The enrollment was pretty good for a couple years after I left, and then it just, you know, it, it gets back to having someone who's willing to make that commitment. Right. To keep this thing going strong. And the program did not change. I mean, the industry kept changing after I left, and the program has to change with that. Right. As the industry changed. And so, sadly, it did not react to that. Obviously, uh, we had a lot of changes during that time as far as computerization. Yeah. Cell phones. I mean, there's... Sure. And so you would have to grow right. and change with that. We had to grow and change during the 16 years I was here. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's with any program, You've got to be think. willing to embrace technology and keep up with the, with the changes in the industry. Right. Uh, and I don't think that happened, sadly. Mm-hmm. So and it's one of those things from my perspective, you just kind of have to walk away. And you know, after 16 years here, I spent a few years at Iowa Select as an HR director, hiring, training people. Also dealt with benefits and, and all of those type things in the sure. HR realm. So corporate world. Corporate world. And it was kind of exciting because when I started there, we were starting from scratch, and when I left, there were 65,000 sales in production and 700 employees. Needless to say, <laughs> we, we were working all the time in that rapid period of growth. Yeah. But, but on the other hand, it gave me an opportunity to utilize some of the skills and knowledge that I had sure. in that industry. And the other part of it was uh, compensation was higher. Yeah. I had my children were graduating from high school and going on to college. And so the extra compensation helped me help them sure. uh, to afford that education. And so I spent a few years there and then um, I was offered a position with Iowa State University in their extension division. And so I started with Iowa State Extension in 1997. Okay. 
and started out as county director in Saragorda County. The office okay. was in Mason City. They wanted me there because that was kind of a hub for North Iowa Extension. Okay. And they also wanted some changes made. <laughs> and so that my marching orders were to do that. Originally, my wife and I had planned to move to that area, but our daughter still had a year of school left. Mm -hmm. And so we decided that we, I would commute till she was through school. But then during the course of that year, my father passed away suddenly, my mother had some health issues. And so we decided that I would just commute because I would be coming back here all the time sure, anyway. right. Uh, to help meet some of the needs that they had. Right, right. And so I ended up commuting during that time. And, and it was a good four years in, in Mason City. Uh, Saragorda County, very supportive of Iowa State University very supportive of extension and probably the the biggest thing there was the first year I was there I had some 4-H parents come in to see me and their food stand they had at the North Iowa Fair was their big fundraiser for 4-H. Sure, yeah. And that food stand had really deteriorated. It was a double garage that had been brought in probably during the 50s. You could see through the walls, uh, the floor was awful why the health inspector ever allowed them to run that food stand during the fair, I'll never know. Sure. But it was pretty bad. And so these parents were concerned. They had wanted to do something years before, but it never happened. And so I suppose they figured I was, a, I'm a new guy. Maybe we can get him to do it. Right. So we formed a committee on how we were going to accomplish this, how we were going to raise the money and do something different. And in this process, I mean, this was like a, a building that was 24 by 24. When we got estimates on what it was going to cost to demolish it and replace it, we were in that fifty to $60,000 area for a building that could just be used for five week. or six days right. during the North Iowa Fair. And that didn't make sense. So we really... I guess took the, the handcuffs off and said, what could we do? And so we came up with a vision of a building that would be 40 foot by 60 foot. It would be heated, air conditioned, would have a kitchen, could be used during the North Iowa Fair, but also would be a four season building. Sure. Could be used by 4-H clubs and trainings for leaders and so forth and we did an estimate on that and came up with about $180,000 to get this building built and so we, we met with the fair board and of course one of the things I wanted to have accomplished was that once we built this we would have a 99 year lease it's our building right we're leasing their property for 99 years we weren't just going to build this and hand them the keys. I mean, I hate to be selfish here, but that would not make sense. And so we um, set that as our goal. We worked on those plans. We knew what the cost would be. And so we set out to raise the money to get this done. Yeah. And they have a lot of foundations in North Iowa where you can apply for grants. Sure. And so I believe that over the next two years, I was able to get about 110000 in grants. Wow. And then we raised the remainder privately. 
and I think a lot of people did not think it was going to happen. They would just give us some money to so we'd leave them alone. Right. But once they saw the thing go up and, and it was going to be a reality, they would come back and say, I want to give you some more. Sure. And so we met our goal, and in two years we were able to uh, open that facility. In fact, it was during the bicentennial, uh, in, two, in the year 2000, we opened that building for that fair. Nice. And had a dedication. And it's still standing today? And it's still standing, is used, in fact, a couple of months ago, there were some retired extension people from that area held a get-together, and I was invited to that, and they had it in the 4-H Learning Center. We decided to call it the 4-H Learning Center. Yeah. And it's fun to go back and see the fruits of your labor on that. Yeah. And the fact that, I mean, that's that was 23 years ago, and that building looks as good as the day we opened it. Nice. They really kept it up nice. One of the things we did when we raised the money is we established a 50C3 yep. nonprofit corporation and we called it the Cerro Gordo County 4-H Foundation. And that way all the funds could be run through that, everything's tax deductible, the people would want to give to it. Yep. And so that was fun and then of course I was there four years and then the Hardin position opened up and of course the office in Iowa Falls. I was commuting, so it was kind of a no-brainer right. to apply for that position. Extension doesn't do transfers. You know, back at that time, county directors were Iowa State employees. They don't do transfers. You go through the whole process all over again. Wow. You apply. Those applications are screened by Iowa State HR. They determine whether or not you're qualified for that position. Then after they do their sorting, they invite people on campus for an on-campus interview and, and of course it's uh, university professors and agriculture sure. yeah. uh, that interview you then and then they, they sift again and so they come up with perhaps two or three finalists mm -hmm. that are invited to that county office and you interview with the extension council okay the publicly elected governing board for county extension Wow. And I believe when I made the cut, there were two of us that had the interview there. And that was kind of fun because these whole interview processes are quite interesting. At Cerro Gordo, when I made the cut and was invited there, I think there were three candidates. I was the last one. It was like 9 o'clock at night when my interview started. And I walk out of this room again with 20 people. There's 4-H leaders, extension council. I mean, they invited anybody involved with the program there <laughs> and so obviously you've got all these people shooting questions at you right and but apparently it went well because I think it was 11 o'clock when I left there to go home oh my goodness but then I had a call at 8 o'clock the next morning sure <laughs> offered me the position yeah. and with uh, the Harden position I interviewed with the extension council and I was the last candidate again <laughs> to be interviewed and I just had gotten home and I got a phone call and they offered the position over the phone. So yeah. fortunately things went well and, and had the opportunity to, to come to Hardin County. Sure. So that would have been in um, the spring of 2001. Okay. I'd been at Saragordo from 97 to 01 yep. and then started at Hardin in 01. And it was fun for several reasons. Number one is 
the Hardin County Extension Office was probably one of the nicest offices in the state. Uh, there aren't many offices where every workstation has a window. Right, right. And, and you get to see natural light. Right. So was that on Brooks Road? On was that Brooks the original? Road, correct. Okay. That had been built uh, about five years before I All started right. there. Hardin County Extension had an excellent reputation, which goes back to Jim Johnson, who had been a county director here for about 25 years. Okay. And Jim was probably as, was regarded as one of the best county extension directors, not only in Iowa, but, but also nationally. Wow. And so that poses a challenge, obviously. Right, because you, did you fill his position? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, actually, there was a person between us. Okay. Which, which in a way was good. <laughs> Jim was so good. I mean, no, nobody's. And I can remember when I interviewed with the council, we started out with some nice small talk, then things got quiet. Okay. <laughs> and so I said to them, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how is this guy going to compare with Jim? Right. And so what I told them was, well, I'm not Jim Johnson, but nobody else is either. Right. I'm not going to tell you that I'll be as good as he was, but I'll, I'll get you as close as I can. Right, right. And then once I said that, it broke the ice and we, we had a wonderful conversation. And of course, I asked them, when they got done talking, they said, well, do you have any questions? And my question was, if you hire me to come to Hardin County Extension, give me a couple priorities that you would want me to accomplish. And their one was to improve relationships across Hardin County because being the office was in the northern part of Hardin County. It used to be years ago was in Eldora. Okay. And when they moved the office from Eldora to Iowa Falls, that created a lot of hard feelings. Sure. Not only with the Eldora community, but, but also the communities south of there. Gifford, Union, you know, that area. Right, sure, of course. And so they felt that there was still some healing that needed to happen there. And we decided to take some of our, our programs on the road. I started offering some programs in Union and uh, Eldora so that they would know that you know, this is all of Hardin County. Sure. And so that, that was one of the priorities that they wanted to see. And the second one was to increase visibility of the program, make us a player in the community and in the county. Yeah. That where extension had a, a seat at the table of important committees and yeah. groups. Yeah. And so that was kind of the direction that I was given. Yeah. And so I ended up being county director at Hardin. And, and of course, I started in 2001. 2010 was a, a tough year for extension because the university made the decision, I shouldn't say the university, the Board of Regents made the decision that county directors would no longer be Iowa State employees. They were going to go from having a county director in every county to regional directors. So instead oh. of having 100 county directors, now we're going to have 20 regional directors. And instead of having five area directors, we're going to have one state field director. So, and one thing they did do was the only people that could apply for these regional director positions were county directors. directors. But still, it gets to be a game of musical chairs 
where you're going from 100 people down to 20. Right. And that same year was the year that the state of Iowa decided they wanted to reduce 2,000 state employees. So they were offering early retirement incentives. Yep. And I was old enough at that time to qualify. I had the years of age along with the years of service to qualify for that early retirement. So that was some real soul searching for me because if I go back, starting at Harden in 2001, then in 2005 and six, our area director in Hardin County was part of 17 counties in central Iowa in that area. Our area director wanted to go out to Washington, D.C. and work with the Council of Governments there for at least a year. They had that opportunity, and so they asked for a leave of absence. So then I got a call from the vice provost for extension, and he said to me, I would like you to cover that position for at least a year while that person is gone, while the area director is gone. And so I did that, and so I had, it ended up being a year and a half. (laughs) But during that year and a half, and I had 17 county offices that I supervised, plus two urban offices in Des Moines, and my office was at the Papa John Center. Oh. That's where our regional, or I shouldn't say regional, where our area extension office was at that time. And it was it's a great experience. I, I was working with was supervising these employees in these seventeen counties. It was strenuous, obviously, and and was on the road a lot. Say traveling again. Traveling again, and so it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and in fact, during that time, when I would have my performance review, uh, the vice provost would say, "Well, was this something you might consider on a permanent basis?" I really wasn't interested, but I kind of worked my way out of it by saying, well, you're kind of asking me a hypothetical question here. Right. And so uh, it's a little bit hard to, to answer when it's when we're talking hypothetically. Right. Kind of worked my way out of that. And so when they went from the county directors to regional directors, I knew that if I made that switch, if I applied and got one of those 20 positions, I would be supervising four to five county offices and I'd be back on the road again. Right. And you know, I was turning 60 years old at the time and just decided that that wasn't something I was interested in. And so I made the decision. They had an early retirement incentive that they offered that I explained earlier. I applied for that and it was granted. And so I made the decision to retire from Iowa State. And, and again, this is 2010. Well, then in the process, when I told the Extension Council that I was retiring, the Extension Council was not happy with this new arrangement. They placed a high value on their county director. And so they said to me, well, you know, if you're retiring from Iowa State, you know, you're, you're just 60 years old, would you be interested in working for us as a, as a county director? And so I thought about that and I said, well, yeah, but uh, there has to be a break. When you retire on IPERS, you can't have any, yep. once you retire, you can have no contact, you can't have any any prior arrangements, right. anything. Right. So I had to have my separation period. And so basically what I told them was after my separation period, let's talk. And so that they were satisfied with that. And so after my separation period, then we got together and uh, came to terms and so then I I worked as a county director for the Extension Council 
from 2010 until I retired in 2020. Yeah. I enjoyed my work very much. In fact, when I retired in February of 2020, it wasn't because I didn't like my work. I enjoyed it to the very last day, but I was turning 70 years old and decided that if there's things I wanted to do, yep. that I needed to be doing those things. And I also had a farm that I grew up on, and I wanted to be able to spend a little more time out there. Uh, during that time, I had uh, was invited to join the Ellsworth College Board of Trustees. That happened in 2001 after I moved back here to the hard position from Sarah Gordo. And then in about 2010, I was elected president yep. of the trustees. And so I wanted to be able to spend more time doing work with trustees. I'm also on the, because I'm president of the trustees, I also then became an uh, ex-official member of the Ellsworth College Foundation Board. I was also on the county foundation, involved with the county foundation. And in addition to that, also some church committees. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're so, very active in the community. And so I wanted to be able to devote more time to those things. And the other reality is when you're turning 70, <laughs> your energy level is not what it was. Uh, it just seems like it. maybe some people can go till 80 or 90 and not miss a beat, but I'm not one of those. We're not all Dwayne Lloyds. We're not all, <laughs> yeah, you know. And, so I realized that, yeah. and so I noticed that it was, it always seems like it takes you a little bit longer to get going in the mornings, and, and I knew, just knew my energy level wasn't the, as good as it was. And of course, with extension work, you have a lot of night meetings, mm -hmm. and so a lot of times you're not getting home till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Right. You have the county fair during the summer, which for a county director is 90 hours that week. Right spending a lot of time in hot weather and walking over uneven ground on the fairgrounds yeah. and and so i i just had to realize that uh it was time to step back and give a younger person that opportunity yeah. Yeah. and uh, allow myself also to focus on some of the things yeah and when you retire you have to have something if you're going to stay home and just watch tv you're probably not going to live more than a couple of years right. after retirement. Right. And so I was blessed that I had these other things that I enjoyed doing and and was able to do. So that's kind of been my, my focus the last four years. Yeah. In addition to, to being more free uh, with family, we have our two children and four grandchildren. So we've been able to watch them grow up Right. And yes. And their activities, and so I had the by retiring, I went. I had that opportunity. Sure. Sure. So it's all good. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Good. So that is a great segue to uh, our next meeting, um, where we will get into your role in the trustees. Everything that you've done really has been many facets. So we're going to talk about your involvement in the trustees you know, and exactly what that is, and even, you know, some of the areas that you are in the community, because I know there's a lot of different programs and committees with your church, and some, a food thing I know you do. Right, I'm involved with a, a community food ministry, 
that involves seven different churches and food pantries. Yeah, so we'll talk about that at our next segment. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to The Greenbelt Project. The show is sponsored by Iowa Falls State Bank, member FDIC, and Hanson Family Hospital. The Greenbelt Project is produced by the Ellsworth College Foundation and Time Citizen Communications. The Greenbelt Project podcast is available on all streaming services and on timecitizen.com. 